0: Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. All right, well, um, it's a pleasure to be here with you all this Shabbat. Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah, Shabbat Shalom. I um, just want to start off with a quick word of prayer. Vinus Shabbat Shammai, my father was in heaven. Thank you so much for this day of rest. Thank you so much for this season of your Nisim, your miracles that are not only with our forefathers in those days, but they're with us today. You are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And you are at work in our community, our cities, our state, our country, and this world. And we thank you for that. And I just ask that you would guide and direct my words, give me your Shalom, your wisdom, And uh, bless me to deliver a word to your people here today, Yeshua's name. So, um, I guess I'll open up with a testimony. Um, I guess when I was about four or five, and uh, I was in a car seat, and my mom was driving down the road, and I said out of the blue, hey, mom, God told me I'm going to speak in front of a bunch of people someday. She was like, huh? And I said, like God told me I'm going to speak in front of a bunch of people someday. So she actually wrote that down, kind of in a, in a journal or whatever. And she didn't tell me about it until years later. Actually, when I was 18 and living in New York and we were talking on the phone. Because basically, after I said those words, it was, af- it, it was as if the enemy said, oh, no, you're not. And so... From that young age, I began having just demonic night terrors and just learning things. Things coming into my mind that that I didn't even necessarily learn elsewhere. It was just the enemy. And I ended up, even though I was raised in a believing family, um, I was not living for the Lord in the slightest was uh, pretty much a Meshuggah, crazy person, Um, disobedient. You know, I got into drugs. I got into fights. I got into, you know, the wrong crew, the wrong friends. And so in a way, just like we learn about with the, the story of the time of the Maccabees, that God's temple, when they had one their last main victory, and they came into Jerusalem to rededicate the temple. They found the temple, and it was completely desolate. It says that there was actually plants and trees and stuff growing inside the temple. It wasn't being used for worshiping God. It was just desolate, and that's kind of how my life was for a period of time. And uh, I think we all can go through that. Especially when we're younger, you know, we might be raised by wonderful believing parents But yet we have to actually find God for ourselves He can't just be the God of my forefathers or the God of my parents. He has to become my God He has to become your God. You have to make that decision yourself and uh, So I'm just grateful to be up here, you know, not that this is just a one-time fulfillment of God's calling but um, you know, I used to teach every Shabbat at a different congregation. And then this is, a, this is leading into another um, testimony for right now. So I was teaching at another congregation and I, I loved it there. Um, like a, a home group, kind of smaller. You know, I knew everyone. And, uh, but my wife, um, she didn't really feel at home there. So when we, we actually got married in, in New York, in Brooklyn, because I was there for yeshiva some years ago. So then we ended up moving back here, and I wanted to go back to that congregation, and she really didn't feel at home there, and I was kind of bothered by that, but um, I ended up having a friend here, Kaliv, who I got into security with, and had some other friends here, and Mary had some, my wife had some friends here, so we decided, oh, let's, let's give EC a try. So, we started coming here about a year ago, a little over a year ago now. Um, My first time kind of with the whole EC group was the men's retreat, and that was awesome. I absolutely loved it. The men that I met, the testimonies, the prayer, the teachings, everything was just incredible. And uh, so, anyways, then um, a few weeks ago, about a month ago, So I I know I'm probably the only one, but I have stuff to work on. I have, you know, things I need to overcome still, you know, areas where I need God's help. And, uh, you know, marriage, when you get married, you know, it, it brings out, you know, it can bring out the best or the worst. And it can make or break you. And you have to decide which one it will be. You have to have humility. You realize how selfish you are. And I realized that and some other stuff. So anyways, my wife ended up reaching out to rabbi about a month ago and sharing some stuff with him. Like this guy needs a mentor. You know, he's got stuff he needs help with. He needs prayer. And it was very humbling because she did that. I didn't do it. She reached out to rabbi. It was very humbling. And um, that's kind of how God works sometimes. That's how he worked with David, King David, King David did not repent of his sin and God gave him ample amount of time. And so then like his sin was revealed. So it's the same thing. That's just a little side note. Learn, we should learn how to be humble and repent quickly because God disciplines those whom he loves and he'll reveal things, you know, and it's better just to get it out of the way. So anyways, um, so I, Started talking to Rabbi like a few weeks ago. We we decided to talk every Sunday. So literally, um, this was two weeks ago on a Friday night. Sorry, and I've been thinking about becoming a police officer for a long time, for a number of years, but I have such a checkered past. And uh, so my wife is like, "Hey, let's let's fill out an app right now. Let's just let's get that going," and then. One of the things it said for this department was, you know, if you've done this even once or you've done this, permanent disqualification. So I was literally like, well, that's it. I'm never going to become a cop. And that was kind of heartbreaking because it's been in my heart for a long time. So we just prayed about it. I was pretty down about it. And literally two mornings later, I'm talking to Rabbi for our first chat. And he ends up saying, hey, you know that I know a person that's in charge of the academy. That was pretty mind blowing. And literally the next day on Monday, I'm already talking to the guy. And he asked me, you know, about your past, what are you worried about? And so I shared with him. And uh, I thought it was gonna, you know, basically take my opportunity to ever become a cop. But he said he, you know, I ended up meeting him a few days ago. And he, he ended up saying that his his, my story reminds him Of his story so he's also a believer i'm not going to say his name but he's even a messianic believer this guy and god has placed him in a pretty high up position in our in the police force here and so basically because of god's favor because of favor i found with rabbi i was able to find favor with this guy and he ended up saying you know you're you're accepted into the police academy so (laughs) <laughs> thank you so pray for me on that it's going to start january 23rd it's going to be part-time i'm going to be working all day and then literally going to academy six thirty 30 until 10 at night monday through friday it's going to be a grind but he made a way so what am i going to say nah never mind nah, i'm not going to say that it's the same type of thing like with this teaching you know because So one of the things you have to do when you're applying is you have to do a a personal history statement. I already don't like doing paperwork. I don't like doing applications. It's the worst, you know? And this one is literally going into so much detail. And, you know, when God ended up redeeming me, I was about 17, 18. He ended up taking me all over the place like just, just a classic Jew, just sojourning from here and there and everywhere. And so everywhere that God brought me, I, I was I always had a work ethic and I was like, you know, I just gotta do what I gotta do. That job came along, this job came along, I'm gonna do it. So trying to do my work history and you know, where I lived and everyone I lived with, it was uh, pretty difficult and you know, Then some of the the specific questions, have you ever done this or have you done this in the last 10 years or the last seven years or the last three years or ever, just reminded me of what a Meshuggah I was. What a crazy person, a shmendrik man. You know, it just reminded me of that and was pretty humbling. And uh, it's just a reminder of God's grace in my life. And, you know, if someone with a past like me can get in and find favor, you know, and that's the beautiful thing is that God had been lining all this stuff up. If my wife felt home at the other place, I would be there right now, you know, but instead we're here. You know, if she hadn't reached out to the rabbi and humbled me, then rabbi and I wouldn't have started talking. And if him him and I wouldn't have started talking. So God does that. He goes before us. You know, all things work the good of those who are called according to his purposes so you know there might be things in your life that look that that don't necessarily look good or maybe they're they're harmful or they hurt or they're stressing you out but God is going to use those things he is using those things and so you know I'm just here to encourage anyone who's kind of in a similar situation that God makes a way where there should not be a way he makes the crooked places smooth, right? He makes the, he just, he opens doors that no man can shut. That's what God does. He's so worthy and of, our, of our love and of our lives, of our devotion, of our dedication. And so, you know, that's what this, this feast is about. It's Hanukkah. And Hanukkah means dedication, as we've learned. And you know, I was gonna go into a little bit of the, the history, just a few little points. Um, this is from Josephus, you know, a historian. So basically there's a, oh, sorry. I'm not used to having this thing on. There's a big army. There's a lot of enemies. And the thing is, is that the enemies of, of Judas, of Yehuda, of the Maccabees, it was not just, From the Macedonians or the Greeks, in fact, they actually fought battles against some of the Samaritans, their own people, and it it, it even says that some of the Jews joined with the Samaritans and fought against the Maccabees. The Maccabees had to fight their own brothers. Then they they were they fought against Syrians. They fought against a multitude of different forces. So it was just incredibly miraculous that, that they were able to withstand all these different battles and stuff. And basically, you know, these, the Jews who ended up joining these enemies, they were people who were completely assimilated. They were completely comfortable with the life that, that the Greeks, that the Macedonians had brought and ushered in to the land, you know, which was a life completely devoid of following the one true God. It was a life stripped of holiness. It was a fleshly and carnal life. And many many of God's own people became comfortable with that. And when they had some of these religious fanatics, these people that wanted to bring God and the Torah and holiness back in, they had an issue with that. And so I, I, I kind of forgot about this and was reminded as I was going through this. But it says, Upon which Judas met him, and when he intended to give him battle, he saw that his soldiers were backward to fight because their number was small and because they wanted food, for they were fasting. He encouraged them and said to them that victory and conquest of enemies are not derived from the multitude in armies, but in the exercise of piety towards God and that they had the plainest instances in their forefathers who by their righteousness and exerting themselves on behalf of their own laws and their own children had frequently conquered many ten thousands. for innocence is the strongest army that was Judas here that was the leader that's a really interesting thing right there that he that I ended with right there for innocence is the strongest army Innocence, you know, if, if, if you get brought to court and it was found that you were innocent, it means that you, you were shown to have not broken the law. So that basically means walking in obedience. It means walking in holiness. And that's why Yeshua was so powerful, because he walked in that same innocence, right? When temptations came, he did not fall into those temptations. And it's that innocence, it's that holiness that is so powerful. And we're humans. We can't walk perfectly like Yeshua, but we can still walk in this holiness, right? We can still walk in this innocence because by his blood, by his redemption, we are wiped clean. We're new creatures. We're a new creation, each and every one of us. And we can tap into that at any time of day when we repent Right, And turn back to him. We can walk in that. There's another thing here. It says. Where Judas met him. With 10,000 men. So this was after he had had some victories. Because it wasn't just one battle. And then we went and took the temple again. It was many, many battles. So it says where where Yehuda met him with 10,000 men and the other force that came had 60,000. So that's six to one. And when he saw the great number of his enemies, he prayed to God that he would assist him and joined battle with the first of the enemy that appeared and beat them and slew about 5,000 of them and thereby became terrible to the rest of them. Nay, indeed, Lysias observing the great spirit of the Jews, how they were prepared to die rather than lose their liberty and being afraid of their desperate way of fighting as if it were real strength he took the rest of the army back with him and returned to antioch so he literally saw the fighting spirit of the jews and said ah eh, never mind and he took his entire army that was far superior back to antioch I think it's incredible because it kind of reminds me of of the history of of our own nation as well with the founding fathers. You know, give me liberty or give me death. You know, these, these Jews were prepared to die rather than lose their liberty because this force that was in the land made it almost impossible to worship the one true God. And this force of people were Jews who could no longer live that way. They couldn't live that way. And so they decided to rise up against this enemy so that they could retake their liberty to be able to worship the one true God once again, right? So they end up... Here's when they came in after their, after their great... Um, Victory. It says, When therefore the generals of Antiochus' armies had been beaten so often, Judas assembled the people together and told them that after these many victories which God had given them, they ought to go up to Jerusalem and purify the temple and offer the appointed sacrifices. But as soon as he, with the whole multitude, was come to Jerusalem and found the temple deserted and its gates burnt down, and plants growing in the temple of their own accord on account of its desertion, he and those that were with him began to lament and were quite confounded at the side of the temple." So they had to come in and clean up the temple, rebuild the walls, do some weeding, pull the weeds out of the temple, right? So, after all this, it says, Now Judas celebrated the festival of the restoration of the sacrifices of the temple for eight days, and omitted no sort of pleasure thereon. But he feasted them upon very rich and splendid sacrifices, and he honored God and delighted them by hymns and psalms. Nay, they were so very glad at the revival of their customs when, after a long time of intermission, they unexpectedly had regained the freedom of their worship, that they made it a law for their posterity, that they should keep a festival on account of the restoration of their temple worship for eight days. So that's kind of a little bit of a recap on the the story of Hanukkah, right? And I think that spiritually, wow, we can all kind of go through this. Even myself in this season I feel like kinda the past few years, every time Hanukkah comes around, it seems to be the perfect time. You know, maybe I've become a little bit lax and I haven't been praying as fervently, haven't been studying, whatever it might be. It's always a wonderful time to be mindful of rededicating ourselves to our loving God. And it's not always easy Kind of like with this, with this teaching, you know, Rabbi reached out to me a few weeks ago and asked me if I would do this. And I said, sure, you know, no thought to it. It's just if God calls you to do something, you do it. Like when Isaiah, you know, he says, here I am, send me. That's how we all need to be. When God calls us to do something, we say, here I am. Send me, right? Because I'm here to tell you that this past few weeks, especially with this whole thing with the the police academy coming into the midst midst of it, I mean, I was filling that thing out for a week. Like every night, it, it was very intense. And just that feeling of pressure and stress because there was a deadline on it. On top of this, you know, because I haven't, I haven't done teachings for, for, for a while, especially not in front of uh, such a big, beautiful crowd as yourselves. And so I had stress. It didn't make it easy. Just because I said yes, just because I've taught before, did not make this easy, right? And God oftentimes calls us to do things that are not comfortable. Our flesh doesn't like doing what God is calling us to do. These men, the Maccabees, they could have just kept living, you know? They could have just kept living the life that everyone around them was living. You know, maybe they could have little home groups or something. Everything's going to be okay. So what? You know, the temple. They didn't. And they knew that literally fighting for their liberty, literally fighting for the rededication of the temple could mean their lives. They were willing to lay their lives down for that liberty of worshiping and following God. I feel like, you know, especially here in the West, we can get, you know, we're so comfortable. Thank God, you know, he's really blessed us here, right? But there's a, you know, throughout the book of of Judges, right? Every time the people of Israel would have these extended years of peace, of shalom, right? And they became so comfortable, so complacent that they stopped following the Lord. And then the Lord ended up bringing in enemies, oppressors, and oppressing his people so that his people ended up crying out and returning to God. Like we see with the Exodus, they cried out and God heard them, raised up a judge The judge delivered them from their oppressors and had these years of peace and then it it, it continued again and again and again. So because we've had these years of peace, we have to be so careful not to get complacent, not to get overly fleshly and overly comfort-minded because there is a day coming when persecution it's going to increase look at the way things are going right and we have to make our peace with it and a little bit of discomfort or a lot of discomfort it's going to be temporary compared to eternity with our king and he talks about this messianic era where he will wipe the tears from our eyes there won't be death It says, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard. It's so worth fighting for being his people and putting up with that discomfort. You know, there's places around the world where following God is like basically a death penalty. Imagine that. If meeting here today and we could have some people coming through here and lighting us up because we're gathered in his name, how many of us would be here? You know, this is how serious we got to be about our walk with God. Because I know that in my prayer life, I was very serious about unrighteousness. I did it really good. You know, I, I walked in sin and all that with my whole heart. And God is so worthy of us following with our whole heart and soul and strength. The amount that he loves us, you know, sometimes I, I, I don't really understand it. I don't really know what, what does he want with me? Why does he love me? You know, and I'm starting to get a little bit of a glimpse of it through my, my own son. This is his first Hanukkah, you know, he's a little over five months. He hasn't said anything, he hasn't done anything. But yet I love him so much, you know? And then I know other parents, like when your, your little baby grows up and now he starts giving you problems, like I gave my parents. But yeah, my parents, they never gave up on me. They always loved me through all of it. And in the same way, that's God's love for us. We just gotta be reminded that, that his love is so immense. It's much greater than, than the love of, of parents for their children or family members. So, my teaching is really about, you know, it's called the fight for dedication. Because being dedicated to the Lord is something we have to fight for. We have to be disciplined. So, I'm going to open up with the first slide, which is Matthew 11:12. 12. It says, and from the days of Yohanan Hamatbil, John the Baptist... Until now, the kingdom of God of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It's not necessarily like a violence like we're thinking of here, but it's the fact that to enter into God's kingdom, to be a part of his kingdom, we have to take it with force. We have to take it with energy. Because otherwise you're just being lukewarm. You're being lazy. That's not and and you know what the scripture says about being lukewarm, he will spew he will spew you out of his mouth. We can't be lukewarm. We gotta take it with, with force, with energy, with tenacity, with love. That's how we enter into his kingdom. Not half heartedly. You know, we know that the scriptures talk about a man who, who prays half-heartedly. His prayers aren't going to be answered. Next one, 1 Corinthians six nineteen 19-20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Ruach HaKodesh who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We all know that our bodies are called temples, right? And I've been through it, like I said, where my temple, my body, my life, it was like the way that that the Maccabees found it. It was desolate, with overgrowth. It was defiled. It was not being used in worship of God. Prayers, you know, sacrifices of, of, of the lips were not being offered up. His word was not being spoken of. We can all go through this. And so that in this season, we're called to rededicate retake our lives and devote and dedicate them to God, right? It says you are not your own. We've been bought at a price. You know, it's, it's to the point of, you know, if you want to commit some kind of sin or something, you should literally say, I don't even have the liberty to commit that sin. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to my God who redeemed me. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As I was saying, Hanukkah means dedication, right? So we should dedicate ourselves and give ourselves over to the Lord fully as soldiers of Mashiach. Being dedicated to something means that we ignore things that distract us from what we're dedicated to. We see this with certain athletes, we see this with people, maybe, you know, some of you experience this if you're, you're in school and you're trying to achieve something and you're dedicated to that thing, you know, you got a project tonight and your friends are like, hey man, you know, we're going out to the bar, we're gonna go have a good time, get some drinks, have some good food. That's tempting, but because you're dedicated and you're devoted, to your project or to your calling or to the sport that you're in, you say, hey, man, as much as I would love to do that, I can't. I've listened and and read a, a number of books of, like, successful people, and this is one of the big things that they all harp on, is learning how to say no, learning how to say no. You know, when, when we're little kids, we have no problem with saying no. Then we grow up, and then we forget how to say no. We, f- we, don't, we don't know how to say no to things that are not good for us. We got to get better at that. And so that's a big principle of, of being successful, is learning how to say No and learning how to be devoted or dedicated to that thing that you're trying to achieve or that thing that you're trying to become. You know, like when I get into the, the academy, it's gonna be 6.30 to 10.30 every night. I'm not gonna have a social life. I'm not gonna even get to see my son very much. But we prayed. We asked the God, if this is part of your calling over my life, it's gonna happen. And now that it has happened, now I have to walk in that obedience and it's not going to be easy. But I'm going to walk in that obedience. So we've all heard the name, used the name, sang the name, Adonai Tzvaot, right? But does anyone, it's usually translated as Lord of hosts. But actually Tzvaot is plural for Tzva, which is army, army. So that term there is actually Lord of Armies, Lord of Armies. So on one of my next slides, we got Second Timothy 2, 3 through 4. It says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Yeshua Messiah. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. There it is again. It's talking about you must endure hardships as a good soldier. We're in his army. adonai Vo, the Lord of armies, we are in his armies. We are his people, we are his soldiers. And it says here, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. If you try to entangle yourself in the affairs of this life as a soldier, you're AWOL and you're gonna be court-martialed. It's not gonna be good. We have to treat it like that. We have to treat our walk Like that. Either you're going to be one of God's people that in the time of the Maccabees enjoyed what life has to offer fleshly wise. Either you're going to be that or you're going to decide to lay your life down for God. Lay your own desires down for God. You can't be both. We can't be both. I can't be both says who enlisted him as a soldier that's his calling over our lives I was talking to someone uh that I work with a few days ago about like redemption because he he's a he's a good Christian brother but he asked me like what what do messianics believe about like salvation and well just my personal opinion Hopefully this doesn't ruffle feathers, but I don't really believe in a once saved, always saved. When I look at the story of the Exodus, God's people were at their lowest point, the sages say. The lowest point. It was from there that he saved us. It was from there, that lowest point. We were not serving him. We were not following him because we were enslaved to Pharaoh. It was from that point that God redeemed us and brought us out of the house of bondage. Like it says in the, new, in the new covenant that he died for us while we were yet sinners. From the laying of the foundations of the earth, his plan of redemption was already in, in work. And I was saying to him that in my opinion, redemption is kind of like You know, you have a life sentence in prison. Those prison things have slammed shut. That's it. Either a life sentence or you're walking death row. Then those doors open up and the guard comes along and says, you're free to go. (laughs) Won't you be bewildered? And then he would tell you someone has decided to pay your penalty for you. And then all he asks of you is go and sin no more. In other words, go and don't do the things that landed you in here in the first place. That's his redemption. Because even though the people of Israel were redeemed out of Egypt, many of our people fell in the wilderness because they were not walking in the redemption. They thought, okay, now we're free. We can do whatever we want. That's not how it is. And in my opinion, our salvation is the same way. That's why Paul warns us not to end up like our forefathers who fell for various reasons. We gotta have that fear of God. We gotta look at ourselves and, and know that we always have things we need to work on. And thank God he's gracious. My life attests to that. He's gracious. It's just that we got to take this seriously. You know, and, the nev- and, and the next slide, it says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And the next one is 1 Corinthians nine twenty-four through 27 says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So there's that idea again. You know, I, I, I grew up playing ice hockey. I grew up in a number of different sports, but ice hockey was the one I was best at. And throughout my time playing, I, I always made the best teams somehow. <laughs> but that's because I hustled, and I pushed myself and I disciplined myself. You know, when you, when you go to tryouts, you're amped up. You're not going there thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give it 80% or 70%. No, you're going there with your A plus game because you wanna make that team. This is what Paul is talking about here. People who run in a race they're not just running in a race because they want to lose some extra weight. Maybe, I don't know. But basically they're, you know, especially at those times, you know, with the Olympics and stuff because those go way back. They wanted to win. People wanted to win that prize. They wanted that glory. And so people who wanted to win, they didn't treat it like a joke. They trained, you know. Just like a lot of the, the professional athletes these days, you know, someone like, you know, he, he passed away, but Kobe Bryant, why was he the best? Well, I mean, there's stories about him. He would come to the court two hours before all of his other teammates who are all, all professional athletes, but he came two hours before, and then they finished practice, and were probably going out to a steakhouse or who knows what, and he actually stayed two hours afterwards even. And that's why like some of the the best of the best in some of the sports, that's why they're the best, man. Because they have that dedication and that devotion. And while all their other friends show up at this time, they're showing up before that. And all their friends are leaving to go and have some fun. They're still there practicing their shot, practicing their technique. This is how we should be with God. (laughs) If someone is this serious about throwing a, a basketball into a hoop, why can we not be serious about the creator of the heavens and the earth? <laughs> you know, he gave us everything. The breath of life, the clothing that we have on right now, the cars we use to come here, the health, the family. He's given us everything. Right? It's it's He's so worthy we should push ourselves to get into his word, push ourselves to pray, you know, and we all, we all have, we're all here, we're all believers, you know, we can look, we should never compare ourselves to anyone else, but just like someone like Kobe Bryant, you know, he was in the pros, but he didn't just look at his friends and say, oh, they show up at this time and leave at this time, so that's what I can do. But he pushed himself. As we look at our, ourselves, And our brothers and sisters, you know, maybe we know someone that prays this much or does this much. We should push ourselves to even go beyond that. You know, a little healthy competition. You know? Reminds me of when Paul said that those who sow liberally will reap liberally, and those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. That's talking about. The everlasting reward, because Yeshua said he's coming with a reward to reward each man according to his deeds. What is your reward going to look like? What's mine going to look like? Are we going to reap liberally or are we going to reap sparingly? You should ask yourself this question. How much are you doing for the kingdom? Right? I used to think about it like, you know, in a, in a way it's, it's like uh, investing in our heavenly future when we do these things for God. Because again, he said he's coming to reward each man according to his deeds. That's not why we do them. We do them because we love him. We do them because good deeds are good for others and it blesses others. We do them out of obedience, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're encouraged in many places in the scriptures to add to our good deeds, you know, to, to walk in the fruits of repentance. So when we, we do more for God, it's a blessing. And again, we're not doing it like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just investing in my heavenly future. It's not why. But just think about it. What's your heavenly future going to look like? Your retirement, your heavenly retirement, what's it going to look like? You know, like it's like people who are saving up for retirement. When you retire, are you going to have this much saved up? You know, you're barely getting by. Can't really afford to to buy, you know, the grandkids Hanukkah gifts. You know, you're like, I just barely got by. Or are you going to have a beautiful, comfortable Retirement. Anyways. He talks about here, he says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. This is something that, you know, I've I've gone through seasons where I was very disciplined and seasons where I was not disciplined at all. I don't think that discipline comes easy to anyone. But it requires that initial decision, right? And then the longer that you are disciplined, you pick up momentum, whatever it might be about. But a lot of times, you know, when I run into issues, it's because I'm not disciplining my body. I'm not bringing it into subjection. I'm giving my body what it wants too much, especially When my body wants something that is literally breaking God's word or his Torah or his ways, it's not good for me. But guess what? I don't discipline my body and I don't bring it into subjection. And that is when I sin. It's a choice we have to make. You know, these past seasons of my life, you know, I know like I haven't been fighting. I wasn't fighting these things. And therefore, I was having all these different issues. We literally have to make the decision to fight. I would like to do this right now, but I'm going to fight that urge. I'm going to fight that temptation and choose God instead. This is something that we can develop. And it doesn't mean it'll come overnight because it doesn't. So it says in the next slide, James four, one through four, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy In my opinion, that whole thing right there literally flies in the face of our culture today. Literally in the face of it. You cannot blend today's culture and these verses together. You can't do it. That's one of the things that we saw in those days before the Maccabees revolted, assimilation. This word assimilation is spoken about a lot of times in the Jewish world, especially in the religious Jewish world. Right? Assimilation is where, you know, at least in the Jewish side, you know, you're a Jew, but yet you wanna try and blend in with everyone around you. It's the same thing for all of us believers. Assimilation, I see it happening a lot in our body. We can't have it. Assimilation is where You want to fit in with a group or you want to fit in with some friends. You want to strip yourself of holiness. Because what is holiness? It's being set apart. And human nature is to blend in. Human nature doesn't like sticking out. Human nature doesn't like being separate or holy because it's easier not to be. It says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That doesn't mean we need to condemn people that doesn't mean we need to hate people. But it means that we have to take a stand on the word of God. There's no explaining away what he makes clear and black and white. So either you're going to be a part of God's kingdom Or you're going to join yourself to this psychotic, disgusting, despicable culture that we have today. There's no in between. We can go there and win people, but to bring these things into the body, it's not going to fly, man. God is gracious, but it is not going to fly. God is not humanistic. You know there's there's a the really sobering portion of scripture where the blessings and the curses. One of the things I struggled with was when it said, you know, the God said in the same way he rejoiced to do good to you, he will rejoice to do evil. He is not humanistic. If we are walking in disobedience and disregard Of his word, the word says, you know, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I just see so much stuff creeping into the body. In the Jewish side, the Christian side, the Messianic side. It's interesting, man, and I think that it's literally because people, you know, like it it says in Hosea, my people perish for lack of knowledge because people are not getting into his word. They don't know what his word says about this or that, and so they're just buying into these ideas that are being pushed. They say that it's love. They say that it's tolerance. It's actually the opposite. It's actually hatred. If you hate someone, you will let them continue walking in their sin that is leading them to the pit. If you love someone, you will do your best to turn them away from that sin. You will pray for them. You will show them God's word. You will do your best to help bring them out of that sin. You won't say, hey, congrats, man, I'm happy for you. That makes you feel good, great. That makes you feel good right now, but it won't make you feel good when you're burning. We gotta love people enough. We gotta love people. I mean, you know, God doesn't desire for anyone to perish. But when we, when we have friends or brothers and sisters and they're walking in certain stuff, man, God talks to Ezekiel about it. He says, if you do not warn them, their blood is on your hands. The next slide says, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, Second Timothy 3, 4. Again, this is something that I myself struggle with, right? I'm still working through this. I think as long as we're in the flesh, we're going to struggle with this. Maybe not everyone. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, right? It's so easy to choose what your body wants, but when you do that, you are being a lev- lover of pleasure rather than loving God. can't do that. says in Pirkei Avot, for one, who is strong? He who subdues his evil inclination. As it is stated, he who is slow to anger is better than the strong man, and he who masters his passions is better than one who conquers a city. That's from the Proverbs. Subdues his evil inclination. Masters his passions. You know, Romans six twelve 13 says, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. It says in Genesis 4, 7, in the next slide, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. In the Hebrew, it says it differently. It actually says more like, if you improve yourself, will you not be forgiven? Because none of us are perfect and God's not expecting perfection. it says if you do if you if you improve yourself will you not be forgiven that's what he's calling us to do to improve ourselves we all have things we should work on right and in the same way that i started talking to rabbi every sunday now and i have other friends find brothers and sisters if you know find a sister or find a brother that you can talk to about this stuff and you can ask for prayer be accountable to be better, to improve yourself. You know, we know the, the verses from Ephesians about putting on the full armor of God, right? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I don't have much time, so putting on the full armor of God, right? The next slide is Romans 12:2. And it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, we're not called to be conformed to this world. This world has darkness. This world is filled with sickness, with pain, with death, right? We're called to be the opposite. We're called to be the light. We're called to bring the healing. We're called to bring the savior that this world desperately needs. So how is acting like everyone else around us being a light? It's not. It's not helping people when the church lets in stuff from this culture, that's not helping anyone. That's doing the opposite. says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Again, we're not called to be like today's culture. We're called to be like God's culture, God's word, God's ways, God's Torah, God's kingdom to come. That's what we build our life on. And anything outside of that, we don't walk in that. We stay away from that. We don't look at the people around us and say, oh, what are they, what are they doing? Hey, maybe they have some good ideas. (laughs) No, no, they don't have good ideas. In fact, no humans have good ideas. Only God's word has good ideas. We're the same as anyone else without that holiness. That's what sets us apart. says do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has mashiach with belial or what part has a believer with an unbeliever and what agreement has the temple of god with idols for you are the temple of the living god as god has said i will dwell in them and walk among them i will be their god and they shall be my people therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Is it time right now? All right. Wow, Didn't even get to get through uh <laughs> talking too much. all right. Uh, well, I guess the worship team can come up. to be continued, right? One of the things I was gonna show before I start praying, maybe some of you have seen it. There's a, there's a picture of a Hanukkah menorah, Hanukiah, in the window. There it is. This is a real picture. You see what's in the background? This was taken during the Nazi rule because Hanukkah Is all about being God's people and being proud to be God's people. Not hiding it. We're not hiding it. Don't hide your tzitzit. Don't hide your kippah. Don't hide your good works. Like Yeshua said, no one lights a lamp and hides it under a basket. We should let our worship, we should let our good deeds... We should let our prayers, we should let our encouragement of those around us be made manifest. Don't be ashamed. (laughs) It's the people that aren't walking with God right now that are gonna be eternally ashamed. Abba, I thank you for this time of Hanukkah Thank you for calling me to speak this message. And this was as much for me as anyone else. I just want to rededicate my life to you. Use these members of my body for righteousness and not unholiness. Use my hands to build up your body. Use my feet to carry the gospel of peace use my lips and my tongue for worship and prayer and praise, not discouragement, not anger, not coarse jesting, not cursing, none of this, but use my members for you, for your kingdom, for your people. And I just ask that you would help each and every one of us in here today to rededicate our lives to you. Anyone who has strayed a little bit, anyone who has become a little bit lazy or whatever it might be, we just pray that you would rekindle a fire within our hearts for you, that you would rekindle our hearts with a burning love for those around us, that we would love those around us so much that we would do everything we can to turn them from their sin, not condemn them, not hate them, not speak, with angry speech at them, but show them your word, show them your ways, reveal your heart, reveal your will. And I just pray that you would bless all of us for the rest of this Hanukkah, the rest of this Shabbat. And thank you for family, thank you for friends, thank you for your goodness in each and every one of our lives, you love us so much and you are worthy to be followed, you are worthy to be worshiped, you are worthy to be praised. We just lift our hearts and our minds and our bodies up to you to devote them to you, to be used by you. Yeshua's name.